It's Wednesday, January 26th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, we have a new Hall of Famer, uh, David Ortiz, Big Poppy, was elected by the Baseball Writers Association of America. He will go into Cooperstown this summer uh, as the only uh, selected member uh, by the writers in the class of 2022. Uh, there were uh, a handful of other uh, Veterans Committee and other committee uh, uh, members of the class elected earlier in the offseason. But uh, Big Poppy getting in. And really, the story is about Big Poppy, yes, but it's also about who didn't get in. Uh, and that's uh, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, uh, all failed to get the necessary 75% of the vote in their 10th and final year uh, on the ballot. Uh, what's your take on? First on Big Poppy getting in, and second on the guys that didn't get in. Well, I thought, you know, I thought Ortiz had a, you know, had a real good chance to make it, Joe. Um, you know, he was trending well, and, uh, you know, he, he was trending at, what, almost 88% of the vote, the, the publicly uh, released ballots. Uh, that dropped down to 77.9% when I think there were, what, 395, close to 400 ballots cast. Uh, so, you know, he, he made it, you know, over the 75% threshold and, uh, Joe, I, I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you. Um, as a voter, I, I just breathed a sigh of relief when, uh, Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, even, uh, Kurt Schilling, who wasn't, you know, uh, associated with, uh, steroids, just that whole class has dropped off, you know, has run out of eligibility. Now they're in, it's in the hands of the, uh, the uh, modern day era or today's baseball era, you know, uh, the veterans committee uh, at, in December, you know, they can decide what to do with those guys, but it just, I thought it just kind of, it was 10 years of just, uh, you know, really kind of trying to ignore the two, two of the best players in baseball because they cheated, you know, they, they used steroids. They, they were associated with steroids and, and even Sosa, you know, who hit what 606 home runs or over 600 home runs, you know, certainly was in the same, you know, under that same shadow and shilling, you know, I've never seen a guy shoot himself in the foot more than this guy. He, he asked the baseball writers not to vote for him after last season. And they didn't vote for him. I mean, he 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 did the impossible, Joe. He went from almost a shoe in a guaranteed election at seventy one point one percent last season of the vote. He fell to a fifty eight point six percent this yes. season. I mean, this this year. I mean, and he asked he asked for it, and he right. got it. Right, and and that's you know not uh, anything related with steroids, but that was more the character and and political and and sort of the just the the being Kurt Schilling basically got him uh, not elected to the Hall of Fame uh let's double back and and just uh, we don't we, we want to give David Ortiz his due uh because he did get in to the Hall of Fame but uh a lot of questions around it'll be you know was David Ortiz really a, a first ballot Hall of Famer did you do you think first ballot Hall of Famer when you think David Ortiz I thought you know when he hit Boston, you know, after, you know, kind of, uh, you know, getting lost in the shuffle with the twins and getting, uh, you know, released and Terry Ryan, uh, 
the former Twins GM to this day says it was one of the worst decisions he's ever made, uh, you know, just releasing this guy. I thought that, uh, yeah, I thought he, he, you know, he grew into that Hall, Hall of Fame caliber. Uh, this is a guy that hit four. He, he helped Boston win three World Series, hit 455 in those World Series. It was a 286 lifetime hitter, 541 home runs, uh, 10-time All-Star, 289 hitter in the postseason, uh, just, uh, you know, 55.3 war, played 20 years. I thought he was a Hall of Famer. I didn't. I don't know if he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, Joe, but uh, I definitely think he deserved to be in there. He had, of course, he had, you know, some a taint of steroid use as well in the 2003, uh, you know, that uh, the 2003 was supposed to be a blind test by, by the, by, by the union, uh, you know, the, by the players to see if there was a steroid problem. And uh, obviously testing went in the next year. And, uh, you know, he supposedly was one of the guys that tested positive, but those, those, uh, you know, there was a lot of, lot of debate over just who, you know, who tested positive and who didn't because, you know, they were anonymous tests. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, but he, he did not, as he said last, last night on, uh, on the zoom call from the Dominican Republic after that, he never tested positive. So, you know, you can take that with a grain of salt or not, but I think this was, you know, this was the best choice to go into the hall of fame this year, I think. Yeah, out of out of this group, I think uh, out of the those eligible on the on the ballot, uh, I think if if you're looking for one guy to put in, uh, David Ortiz was probably the guy. Uh, just the the clutch gene, he possessed it. I don't know if there's there is such a way to quantify such a thing, but uh, you know uh, a little I don't know it, you know a little flare out into center field against the Yankees in the playoffs that sort of you know kept their heartbeat alive when it was a when it was a, a thready pulse right there. Uh, that, that won them their first World Series. And, uh, you know, it, it, time and time again, even in just games, regular season games, coming up big, uh, big at bats, you remember him winning so many games for Boston uh, against the, uh, the Indians. Uh, he had success. It, you know, that it mischaracterized, I think, his early seasons in Minnesota uh, as unsuccessful. I, he had a uh, like a 128 OPS plus his last year in Minnesota. Like he was, he was ridiculously good the last year that they, they had him there in Minnesota and for whatever reason, uh, cut him loose. So yeah, they didn't was, want to pay him. He was playing that much. He was, he was, uh, you know, productive and, uh, they didn't want to pay him. So they, you know, they cut him loose. Well, that was, uh, Terry Francona's gain, I guess, uh, in, in uh, Boston when, when he arrived there. Uh, so, okay. We, you know, we've talked about David Ortiz going in, we've talked about uh, Bonds and Clemens and Sosa and Schilling and those guys not going in. Uh, we got to talk about the Cleveland, uh, you know, guy on the list and, and, and other potential uh, folks. There are guys in Manny Ramirez and Omar Vizquel. Uh, neither of them. In fact, uh, what happened to Omar Vizquel, uh, never seen such a dramatic drop in uh, eligibility and not eligibility, just in votes received. Uh, he did receive votes, uh, just not nearly as many as he has over the past few years when he was gaining momentum. Uh, a lot of that due to 
uh, domestic and uh, sexual harassment allegations against him over the last year. Yeah, he went from, uh, Omar went from 49.1% uh, of the vote in 2021 to 23.9% this past season. Uh, just a, you know, a huge drop. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if, if he recovers from this, uh, Joe, I really don't know. I, you know, this was uh, Omar's, I'm trying to see here. Uh, it's either his fifth or sixth year. I yeah, think this was his fifth year on the ballot. He's got five more to go. And uh, if he, if this is a trend, you know, he's going to be off the ballot in a couple of years, hopefully, you know, this, uh, you know, from, from what he posted on Twitter, he has divorced his wife. There were no further charges filed against him in the domestic uh, abuse uh, charges. Uh, but the, the case with the, uh, the bat boy and with uh, the, you know, the class double a uh, Birmingham Barons is still pending. So I don't know, you know, we don't know how that's going to come out and he would not comment on that in, in his uh, Twitter account. So uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what, how that's going to affect, you know, I, well, it, it certainly has, hasn't helped him. And, and, and unless that gets cleared up or, you know, there's some conclusion to that, this thing, I mean, I just don't see how he recovers it from this and, and gets in on the writer's ballot. Right. And that, that might be a, another case of, you know, having to wait long enough to see if he cycles through in uh, one of the, the veterans committees, who knows after that. Uh, speaking of those veterans committees, uh, Kenny Lofton, another uh, Cleveland baseball name that, uh, you know, keeps popping up every time uh, this, these, this time of year. Uh, what happened to him back in 2013 when he was first on the ballot and got bumped out because of uh, guys like Clemens and Bonds and Sosa, who, uh, you know, made, had all the, you know, a decade of controversy while they were on the ballot. Uh, we haven't heard from Kenny Lofton because he hasn't been on the, the writer's ballot in that long. Uh, but now a chance for him, uh, maybe as a, a part of that uh, today's game committee uh, to, to get elected maybe in the, the offseason uh, this next year. Uh, do you think Lofton gets a spot on that ballot? It's going to be competitive to get on that today's game era committee uh, just because all these same guys, Bonds and, and Sosa and Schilling and uh, Clemens are, are all going to be eligible for it, as well as some other really deserving guys. Yeah, there's managers, there's umpires, there's front office executives will be on that ballot as well. It's a, like you said, Joe, it's a 10 man ballot, 10 person ballot. Um, uh, the committee, there's a 16 person committee that, that chooses it. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Kenny would, would will certainly you know, get some, uh, you know, he'll, 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 you know, he should, he deserves some, you know, to be recognized and, uh, you know, and be uh, considered for it. Uh, I hope he makes it. And the, the big thing with me is, do they want, do they want this whole, uh, do they want Schilling? Do they want Bonds? Do they want Sosin and Clemens on that, on that committee or on that ballot? Or do they, you know, maybe take a break from these guys saying these guys have been voted on for the last 10 years. Let's uh, consider some guys that have waited 10 years like, like Lofton. Yeah, that, that might be the case. Yeah, another name to throw out there, a guy like a Fred McGriff, who was very deserving, uh, you know, 
and and, and close to getting on uh, through the writers. Uh, he's he's been waiting uh, this whole time for this community to come around as well. Even a, a manager like a Bruce Bochy, who will be eligible as part of that committee. Uh, those are two names to to sort of watch. Uh, and Jim Leland as well. Jim, Jim Leland, Leland too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lofton deserves consideration for that ballot. I mean, it would be, it, it's going to be tough for him to get on that ballot and even tougher for him to get 12 out of the 16 votes. Uh, somebody on that, on that committee is going to have to, you know, work some deals and, you know, ha- shake some hands and, and get, uh, he needs somebody in that committee sort of arguing on his behalf because we yeah, saw what you definitely happened. need. Yeah. That's a great point. You definitely need a champion. Uh, Tony LaRussa, you know, basically got, got Harold Baines in there on, on the, on the ballot. Uh, so, you know, you need a guy whispering in people's ears like that. And uh, hopefully somebody's in Kenny's corner if he gets on this ballot. Well, and, and we lost Joe Morgan, uh, you know, in, in 2020. So, you know, he won't be in the room to sort of shout down the, uh, the steroid guys because that was his position for so very long. Yeah, I, I, Joe, Joe, I think there's a lot of veterans that feel just like Joe Morgan. You know, everybody thinks these guys are just going to skate in. You know, they're kind of ripping the writers for not voting in the Clemens and Bonds and, and, and uh, you know, Schilling and everybody else. But I, I don't think that the, the Hall of Fame is, is the Hall of Fame guys that are on this committee, the Hall of Famers on this committee are going to wel- welcome, you know, guys that have – have had the taint of steroids about them with opening arms. I, I just, I just don't see that happen. I'd be really, really surprised if, if uh, you know, Bonds and Clemens and those kind of guys, if they make that ballot, get in, get in on uh, on the first year with a free pass. I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, it's a, it's going to be really tough. All right, want to shift gears and get into our uh, our twenty five most memorable players. Uh, Hoinsey, are, are you ready for today's uh, selection? We'll do our uh, our blind uh, guesswork here uh, as we we sort of uh, lay out who is going to be our next uh, selection for this uh, Hoinsey's top 25 most memorable uh, Cleveland baseball sort of figures. Uh, this guy was drafted by the San Diego Padres in the fourth round, uh, and and I. I almost giving it away by telling you he came from Stetson. I think that should be one uh, that should be a clue that uh, everybody should already know about this guy. If you'd followed uh, he's number two all time on the uh, Cleveland franchise list in strikeout to walk ratio. He's second in whip and he's third all time in strikeouts with 1,461. And if that's not a dead giveaway right there, uh, he has the, Personality of an animatrain, uh, an animated, uh, uh, you know, Disney character at Epcot Center, uh, for which he he earned a, a distinctive nickname. You got a guess as to who we're going to talk about today? Yeah, it's got to be Corey Kluber, Joe. Uh, the Kluber, think, you're uh, right. <laughs> two-time Cy Young winner. Uh, he and he finished what third three times or two times? I think he finished mm-hmm. third as in, in the Cy Young voting two finished, or three uh, times, just finished uh, third twice, yes, twice and ninth once, right? Something like right. that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a it, great pitcher, Joe. You really a, a pitcher that we saw bloom in front of our own eyes. 
Right. And you want to talk about, you know, a, a three to four year dominant stretch. Uh, I don't think we've seen anything like that, uh, at least in modern times, uh, out of a, an, an Indians pitcher uh, during that time. Uh, Kluber came in and he was he was their go to. He was their stopper and he was their their guy that, that carried them up until he wasn't up until, you know, the he sort of ran into those uh, injury issues and. Uh, the, you know, I remember the, the playoffs in, in, in 2017 where, you know, was he hurt? Wasn't he hurt? Uh, had they just used him too much and, and driven him into the ground with so many innings that he didn't have anything left in the tank? Uh, and then sort of the unceremonious way he was uh, injured on a, a line drive in 2019. And, and that was it. He, he never, never pitched again for, uh, for Cleveland. Yeah, he's a really an interesting case. They they acquired him, like you said, from San Diego in a 2010 deal for a Jake Westbrook. Um, and I remember his first start, Joe. It was in uh, August 2nd, 2012 against Kansas City. He gave up six runs in the first inning. The uh, the Indians lost uh, lost the game seven to six. But you're thinking, now really, this is the guy. <laughs> this. This guy is not going to be long for long for the big leagues after that performance. And then the same year, uh, in in August twenty fourth, uh, he was facing the Yankees. Uh, in his in the second inning, he had Derek Jeter in the batting helmet with a pitch. <coughs> Ruben Niebla was uh, was was the acting pitching coach at that time, and he and he and he was sitting. There, he was a big fan of Kluber. Had worked uh, worked with him hard in the minors to correct some flaws in his delivery, to give him a couple, to work on some different pitch selections. And he thought, oh my goodness, uh, you know, this is, this is going to be the end of, uh, this is going to be the end of Kluber. And Kluber came back and pitched five good innings. And Ruben said, that's when I knew, you know, that we had something here, that, that he was going to be all right in the big leagues. And, you know, in, in 2014, in the spring of 2014, I remember uh, Terry Francona playing Nostradamus and, you know, he said, you know, he, he Francona, Tito said, I usually don't do things like this, but I think, I think uh, Corey Kluber is on the verge of some big things this year. And that was his first, and he went out and won his first Cy Young. On the Cy Young that worry. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was it. I, I, I guess, you know, just in, in uh, comparison and contrasting yesterday, we talked about Manny Ramirez and, you know, his personality and, and he was sort of a shy guy, but, but there were times where he would sort of let it out and you would, you would see him have a little fun or whatever. Corey Kluber was, you know, sort of the opposite of that. Corey Kluber was known for his demeanor. And you talked about that game in, in New York where he hit Derek Jeter in the head, uh, you know, being able to sort of compartmentalize and, and focus and be just laser sharp and unflappable. That's what Corey Kluber will always stand out in my mind as uh, with with uh, Cleveland and and just you know to talk to him in the in the clubhouse it was the same thing you would get that same sort of robotic response as opposed to any sort of emotion he, he rarely you know uh, screamed into his glove or, or, or stomped his uh, you know feet or anything like that never showed any emotion out there and that was that was sort of one of his strengths also one of his strengths was like you talked about with with Ruben uh, that curveball was at times just unhittable. He, even when you knew it was coming, even when the other hitters knew it was coming, he was at times dominant with that. 
and the cutter, the, the two pitches that, you know, you just sort of think about with, with Kluber, uh, curveball and cutter, and, and he would just, just carve guys up. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, t- when you're talking about his personality, Joe, in 2015, uh, so, I think Zach Meisel did a story on his dad. And it turns out that his father was born in, in Cleveland, grew up a Cleveland Indians fan, went to Mayfield High School and lived here, you know, for, you know, moved away in 2000, in uh, 1980. But, you know, Kluber, you know, by this time, Kluber had been here for like six or seven years, and he had never mentioned that, you know. That just, he never you said that to anyone. That would have been something that, you know, that, that he might have mentioned the first time he was interviewed. Oh, yeah, it's, it's good to be back in, you know, my dad grew up here, but it, it was, that was just kind of his personality. And, and I'll tell you something else, Joe, in, in 2016, uh, you know, I, I had the misfortune of writing that column that the, mm-hmm. the Indians were finished and they would, they would, uh, you know, they were because they lost so many pitchers. And I remember the, the day they, uh, uh, the day they clinched the AL Central, uh, they were in Detroit and, uh, you know, the, the beer shower was going on and uh, there were some people like they were real happy with me. Kluber came up to me and, you know, poured some beer over my head. And, uh, and then kind of leaned in and said, thanks. Thanks for writing that story. And I had, that was, I did not write that to motivate anybody, but he, he obviously felt that, you know, that, that it, it had motivated that ball club or maybe him, but it was, it was really interesting. That was, you saw a different side of him there. Yeah. Seeing that different side of him, maybe once or, 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 or twice, he would let it out in flashes. But if you would talk to Terry Francona or you talk to any of the clubbies or, uh, even a guy like a Josh Tomlin, uh, they would tell you that when the clubhouse doors close and the reporters are on the other side, in in with his teammates, he was a a jokester and a prankster, and he would give guys you know a, a hard time and and you know good nature that kind of stuff. Uh, he he didn't have any sort of fondness for like the uh, the sort of way like guys like Trevor Bauer went about things, but <laughs> but he he did know how to, you know, keep it light with his teammates for sure. He wasn't all just mechanical. Like everybody was made him out to be when he was out, you know, signing autographs or, or playing on the field. Yeah. His nickname was the clue bot. Uh, he, I don't think he had a, a, a fondness for that nickname, but uh, you know, you could see where he got, you know, where it came from. I just remember him walking off the field, you know, whether he pitched bad or whether he pitched great, you know, he was so locked in, that he never, he never tipped his hat. You never saw him like, you know, rec- recognize the crowd or anything. If he's getting a standing ovation, he just kind of like was so locked in that he just kind of, you know, just went down into the dugout. And I don't know if he kept walking out into the clubhouse or what, but you know, it, it just seemed like you, you never saw him waver from that routine. Well, we know he ranks among, you know, maybe the 25 most memorable personalities uh, uh, of your time covering uh, uh, Cleveland baseball, but where does he rank in terms of pitchers in your time covering Cleveland baseball? Well, I think that was, he was, you know, like you talked about that four or five year run, Joe, that's the most consistent, you know, consistent level of great pitching that I've, I've seen from a, from an Indian starter. I mean, CC. You know, CeCe Sabathia was good, but he wasn't like that. 
Uh, Cliff Lee had the one great season. Um, you know, there's been other starters, but n- nobody like that. He was a true number one. You know, he yeah, was, Shane, Shane Bieber's he, got a chance to do that, really. Uh, you know, yeah. but he's sort of just in the middle or starting that. If he continues, he could do that. But but right now, I, I think you know what Bieber, what what Kluber did was was unmatched. I, I was there in Miami uh, on the road. Uh, that was a a quick uh, series on a road trip. That uh, the the day he. Uh, had his wrist broken uh, by that line drive, and you pretty much knew right away when it happened that it was it was bad news, and that sort of started uh, really all those those injury struggles for the pitching rotation in that 2019 season. And you could just tell the the entire clubhouse was deflated when they knew that their number one guy uh, was was going down. So, uh, yeah, not 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 the greatest memory of, of the way he uh, he ended his time in Cleveland, but. But hey, uh, you know what? When they had him for it, nothing will match that 2016 postseason run. Uh, you know the the ha- the hairs on your arm standing on edge in uh, the division series against Boston as he's striking out. You know wh- what? For the first six guys he faced, it was it was uh, sort of really just a, a time where you looked around and go, you know, hey, Cleveland's got the best pitcher on the planet right now pitching for him. Yeah, and you know, and of course, you, him and Josh Tomlin had to pitch on short rest after that Boston series in Toronto and and in the World Series, and eventually it caught up to to both of them, but especially right. Kluber in in Game Seven. I I thought he was on he was on fumes, I, and right. you know, you just he went out there, but it was just a tough, tough assignment for. I don't think a guy who had I don't think he'd ever pitched on short rest, or he rarely had pitched on short rest before that postseason. Right. All right. That's going to wrap up uh, today's podcast. Uh, we looked at Corey Kluber, uh, one of Hoinsey's 25 most memorable Cleveland baseball personalities. And uh, we'll be back again tomorrow for another edition of the podcast. Hoinsey, we'll talk to you then. All right, Joe. 